so when I'm working with, let's say, physicians, I do some coaching with some cardiologists, and they say, well, I don't really have that often. I don't, I don't present that often. And, I, and I, I try and reframe that for them and say, you present all day long. It's just that your audience happens to be three or four, but you ha- you're working to influence this patient, which is leadership. You're working to influence them to turn their life around. You are giving a speech that is trying to influence their behavior. And that's leadership and that's communication. You are telling stories to your colleagues in meetings and trying to influence the group to move in a certain way. And are you communicating that in a way that your idea gains traction? Welcome everyone to uh, yet another episode of the World of Presentations podcast brought to you by Asset Presentation Agency Six Labs. Uh, my name is Boris, I'm the founder of the company and the host for uh, today's episode. And today with me, I have uh, Scott Town. Now, who is Scott? Well, Scott, uh, when I was writing uh, the bio for him, uh, Scott is a lot of things, all right? And I mean so many that is a little bit hard to even choose which one <laughs> I should say. So who is he? He's a professor who teaches leadership and executive communication. He's also a podcaster uh, whose podcast I was recently on. And we had a ton of fun on that one, by the oh, way. It was it's great. Called, it was great. Yeah, it was called Captivation. Now, the tricky part is that I said podcaster, which doesn't mean that he is running just one podcast because he is running two of them. The second one is called Phronesis. Is that correct, Scott? Phronesis. Yes, Phronesis. Yeah. yeah, the practical wisdom for leaders. And lastly, the third thing is Scott is also an author. He has published more than 50 book chapters and peer-reviewed journals, or at least that's how um, that's what LinkedIn says. And I verified it. He's also the co-author of the book, The Little Book of Leadership Development, 50 Ways to Bring Out the Leader in Every Employee. And I'll stop here, everyone, all right? <laughs> because I can be, <laughs> I can continue speaking about who Scott is for many, many uh, hours. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity, Boris. And we did. We had a lot of fun uh, a couple of weeks back. I, I, complete, I will be completely honest that the episode that we recorded on your podcast was probably one of the most, how can I even call it? Like, this was me in my most transparent uh, and my most honest way of speaking. <laughs> you I know, loved it. You were so blunt. You were, and I, I titled the episode, It's Over. Because yeah, you said, you know, you, you combined your skills with presentation skills, psh, it's over, right? Yeah. This was one of the very few episodes that I actually listened myself back. You know, like <laughs> when I'm guest on podcasts, I rarely uh, listen uh, afterwards, you know, because yeah. I obviously experienced it already. Uh, but this one, I was like, this was so cool. I need to listen to it, <laughs> listen to it again and see how <laughs> it actually sounds uh, for the audience. Of course, I found some... Uh, mistakes in my English, but that is a completely different story. Now let's focus on the important part. You are doing a lot of, uh, a lot of things related to communication. Um, you teach that topic. I would say that you are in one way or the other part of the presentation industry. Hmm. In that industry, everyone has a very strange and very unique story, how they ended up <laughs> being part of that industry. So how did you end up being part of that industry? What's your story? Well, Boris, obviously, it's such a pleasure to be here. And I, I have somewhat of a similar path. I mean, a different, but somewhat similar in that I didn't grow up in this space. I got my PhD in leadership. 
And that's the passion topic of mine, which is how do we help people be more effective when leading others? And that's always been a puzzle that's absolutely fascinated me because we know what it feels like when you're in the presence of an incredible leader. And we know what it feels like when you're in the presence of someone who really struggles to do that work well. And, and it, it literally kills culture if they don't. So that, that topic has just been a passion of mine for a couple decades now. Well, within that topic, you have all kinds of subtopics that you need to know enough to be dangerous, right? And so that can be decision-making, problem-solving, that is influence tactics, that's sources of power, navigating stress, communication skills. I, I could go down the list of what's required as you're leading your firm, what's required of you each and every day. I mean, it's, it's Herculean. It just is, especially you and leading uh, the event that you put on last year, Present to Succeed, it's, it's hard work. It's not easy. So I stumbled upon really this topic because of that. So as a leader, can you stand up and can you energize? Can you mobilize? Can you connect? And do others feel? Do they feel excited, enthused, and energized about where we're going? So I actually was introduced to the topic because I was told I was going to teach business communication. Now, in the minds of a sophomore, <laughs> right, yeah. in university, business communication, writing memos, and doing presentations is probably a, a, a form, one of the layers of hell, right? It's a form of torture, writing a memo. And it was my mission to make that course the best course in the College of Business. I said, this can be exciting. This can be fun. We can do good work. We can have a good time. And as a result of me teaching the course, I was practicing each and every day. I was walking in the room, and if I'm practicing presentation skills, and if I have that mindset when I walk in the classroom, well, then that's an opportunity for me as well to model great communication skills with the students. So that really started my journey. And I would do things, Boris, like I would say, if you hear me say a space filler, um, uh, or like, you get a point on the midterm. So oh, I wow, literally right. kind of game theoried my way out of some of those ticks. And I, I literally was practicing. That's the mindset I had each and every day. So that was my path in. And then over the years, I've come across the work of Gar Reynolds and Nancy Duarte and other individuals that have been really, really influential in my own better understanding of the topic. Because like I said, you know, I love your story because your story is moving from one domain into this domain. And I think I even mentioned on the episode, there's a book called Range, which is really about how generalists can thrive in a very specialized world because you come to this new space with fresh eyes that maybe everyone else may not have at this point. Uh, so I view it as a strength. It's not my background, but I'm learning. I'm curious. And meeting people like you all over the world who are doing really cool work that's that's just fun right i agree Com completely <laughs> agree it should be fun otherwise yeah. yeah i mean anyway what you said about like your approach to your sessions with the students was obviously very very uh, unique that is the first time ever i'm hearing something <laughs> like that i thought a lot of classes at schools and universities uh, here in Bulgaria. Never done 
that the thing that you have done <laughs> to be honest in regards to your grades and everything else like try uh, to make it fun <laughs> maybe i need to go back and test that approach we'll see how that one goes uh but you uh when we were exchanging emails or was it linkedin messages i completely forgot already you mentioned that the topic of deliberate practice something yeah. that you already mentioned like you were practicing as part of the process of teaching Deliberate, deliberate practice is something that you really love to talk about and to more or less discuss. Why? Like, tell us more about that. Yes. And how do we connect that to the presentation world? Because the people that are listening to this podcast are here to improve in their communications and presentation skills overall. Boris, this is such a fun topic. And again, I think this is exactly a perfect example of if people in the industry have never heard of this content, then potentially we may be limited in our ability to help people. But if if my master goal is helping to better prepare people to be successful when leading, how do I even begin to do that with excellence? Truly, truly develop the skill in those individuals to be more successful in a formal or informal position of leadership. So there's this really, really funky, cool branch of psychology called the expertise literature. And the expertise literature was really led in large part by a gentleman named Kay Anders Erickson. And he unfortunately just passed away in 2020. Great thinker, powerful thinker. And he had this passion about learning how people work at the highest levels. He didn't care. He didn't care if it was cello, wrestling, baseball, surgeon, teacher, pilot. He didn't care. He just wanted to know how do people get to the highest levels. And he and some colleagues in 1993 wrote this really kind of seminal work called Deliberate Practice. And there's a longer title to it, but it was a journal article. And that fundamentally shifted how I think about kind of everything whether it's my work in the classroom or public speaking. Now, deliberate practice is is interesting. So first of all, I need to go to kind of experts. What did they find out about what separates an expert from a novice? Some of these are going to feel fairly obvious, but it's important. So first, an expert has just general command of a domain. They know a lot about the domain. They've spent decades studying the domain. And so there's just intense amounts of knowledge. Now, I mentioned a book, Range, a little bit ago, which talks about being a generalist. So at times, this can kind of stifle an individual. So you have to be aware of that. But generally speaking, this world-class chess player, they know a lot about the game. Uh, Number two, they can diagnose a situation quickly. So generally speaking, you've got a pilot. They know what all of those dials and levers mean. Sully is flying the plane and all of a sudden he can diagnose what is going on very, very quickly and scenario plan five or six options of what he can do in the moment. And then there's what's called a skillful intervention. Now I can use myself to skillfully land the plane, skillfully play the piece, skillfully perform the surgery. And when we get to the topic of surgery, it's really interesting because you get into quality scores. Some heart surgeons have better quality scores than other heart surgeons. They're intervening skillfully more often. Or in the case of chess, they're winning more often. Or tennis, they're winning more often. So I, I think of it that way. It's about knowledge of the domain, skillfully diagnosing a situation, 
thinking about your five or six options and then intervening and going. It's like when you're giving a presentation and your AV goes out and you very quickly think of the three or four options you have and you just pivot and you go and you don't make a big production out of it. Gosh, I was in a presentation about a year and a half ago where uh, a presenter's clicker wasn't working and she made such a big deal. She was almost chastising the company that had brought her in. No, right? That's not your best option in that moment. Pivot, figure it out. You'll be fine. So that's expertise in a very, very, very short nutshell. Okay, does yeah. that make sense for us? Oh yeah, absolutely, it makes sense. Okay. I mean, completely. So, one of one of the. Do you want to move on? There well, I just wanted to. I wanted to think. Yeah. I wanted you to think about your former life as an MVP for Microsoft, not PowerPoint. I you knew the, so much about that domain. A yep. scenario could be confronted to you. You would quickly diagnose what was going on. You would think of the three or four options at a, some point kind of in, you'd be at a point of what's called automaticity. Yeah. You just think of the five or six of what it could be. And then you would skillfully intervene and get everything back up yeah. and running. Right. I would completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, and that's the deliberate practice that everyone should be putting in uh, because when you're saying that, when you're saying, for example, and you're giving this example with, uh, with this lady and the presenter or the remote control that it was not working for her, whatever, um, someone searching for an excuse or someone searching for a way to like uh, say that someone else is that's someone else's fault and not adapting to the current situation. I always say that in order for you to be able to do that, and I always said, and this is very much connected to what you're saying. I always say to our students and trainees that. In order for you to also be able to do that, yep. but correct me if I'm wrong here, of yep. course, um, I always say that in order for you to be able to, to navigate an unexpected situation, your head and the way you are thinking in this moment should be absolutely cr like super clear. You know, that yes. you shouldn't be having any thoughts in the case of the presentation for the presentation itself. You know, yes. like I'm... I'm flabbergasted by the fact that everyone is asking, hey, what if this thing happens? What if that thing happens? What if for whatever thing happens? Well, you should plan for it. Right? When it you happens. Should, <laughs> yeah, you should plan for it. But yeah. you are not going to be able to react in the proper way if you have so many other thoughts in your head in this moment. Yes. And that's, and that's, why, so that's why this content is so cool. Because you get into this this place. So, so that was the content that kind of no see plan do is what separates an expert from a novice. Mm. And then you have this notion of deliberate practice, which really it has more ingredients than this for us, but I'm simplifying yeah, of course. just to pique the interest of listeners. It's four ingredients. It's time, repetition, real-time coaching and feedback, and then working on skills outside of your current ability level. So if we want to create a world-class cellist, we've got about 20 years, yeah. four to five hours a day, real-time coaching and feedback. And that cellist is consistently working on what they can't do in part for 20 years. Yeah. Constantly. And when you think about our industry, when you think about the presentation skills industry, when you think about just organizational life, Oftentimes, it's missing a couple of those key ingredients. I am yeah. in organizations a lot, and I watch high-level individuals, sometimes CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, repeating the wrong things 
because they're not getting authentic feedback. They get off the stage and everyone looks at them and says, oh, that was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're it was great. It was great. So well done. And yeah, at the same time, yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know your goal there was to inspire, but you use no words that communicate enthusiasm, right? Yeah. And and so those four ingredients are critical: world class surgeon, time, repetition, real time coaching, and feedback. They're working under another surgeon doing the surgery for for sometimes years, and then working on skills outside of your current ability level. By the so, way, when when you're saying all of that, sorry to interrupt you, it's just that I I think it was like three or four months ago when yeah. Netflix announced a series with some of the best coaches on the planet. Like ah. sports is, when you're saying all of those things, like you can apply that very easily in the world of sports, yes. like extremely easily. And yes. I remember that I was looking, my favorite coach and I don't know why, uh, to be honest, uh, is in the, um, is, um, uh, Jose Mourinho, who is the football coach of, back then was of Chelsea, the football coach of Chelsea, Real Madrid, many, many, many others. But yeah. then there was an episode with the coach of Serena Williams. Oh, uh, yeah. And this guy, first of all, he is obviously one of the best, if not the best, uh, tennis coaches on the planet. I cannot be the, I'm not the expert to comment whether or not he is the, the best. I don't know. Uh, but it's like when you're talking about the automaticity, yes. I heard him saying that in many players, there are again levels yes. and many tennis players are chasing mastery, you know, yep. when in the case of Serena, she is a master. She is not chasing mastery anymore. Yes. She, he's, he said, and I, I will never forget that. He said, there is another level uh, that's above mastery. And this is Serena. In her case, it is automatic. Yes. You know, like, and when I heard it, I was like, damn, that is, like, it is automatic. But like, you've done that. she's not even thinking about it. It's yeah, so you, but you've done that. Her, it's just part of it. Yes, yes. And you've done that, Boris. I mean, again, in, in, your, in your IT life, you were doing that work. It was just a, simply a different domain. Yeah. And, and so this book fundamentally shifted how I thought about our work because, and actually it was this book where Malcolm Gladwell created the 10,000 hour rule, yeah. which is just, it's, it's almost a bastardization of Erickson's work because the Beatles can't sit in the cavern club and just play. Yeah, they're going to get better. Or you can put me on a golf course today for 10,000 hours and I'll probably improve, but I'm also going to build some bad habits. I might not improve as quickly and as efficiently as I could if I had a coach and if I had, if I was repeating the right behaviors. So I think to your point from previously, if we get a lot of this to a place of automaticity, I don't have to think about space fillers. I don't have to think about eye contact, hand gestures. My content is if I'm using Agar Reynolds or Nancy Duarte style, I haven't set up a slide for me to fail in the first place, right? Because yeah. <laughs> as you see often, I'm sure people put slides into motion that they can't win. They've literally killed themselves before they began <laughs> and killed the energy of the audience before they began. So if I've set myself up, then when, I always say in my own training, it's not if something goes wrong, it's when something goes wrong, you're freer to react, yeah. slow down, and think of those three or four options, pivot, and go. 
And I think that's for me, this really, really cool place. When you think about presentation skills though, we oftentimes are missing that practice field. We're missing that place where we can review the tape with an expert who can give us feedback so that we can continue that loop and really truly build expertise. So I, I think, think that we I think that we're also missing the first few points that you mentioned, the time and the, the practice itself. Um, but that is and that is, I believe, huge. I mean yes. I would say that there are very few people, and yet it's very strange correlation. You can say that the that the people that are spending the most time uh, in just improving their communications or presentation skills are some of the most successful people on the planet. Yes, which is very strange correlation if you think about it, right? I mean, makes you think about it. Yes, right, <laughs> makes you think well, about it. And so, Boris, as you know, as an educator, I'm in a college of business, and I would say to students, okay, go practice this, and, and you know, we're going to watch your final presentation. And of course, they wouldn't, and there really wasn't a practice field. So something I've been exploring, one of those things on the list in recent years was, can we create a practice field? Can we create a space where people can go, they can get in some of those reps, we can use AI like on the back end, like a rev.ai that's going to perform a transcript analysis of what just happened. And we can look for some keywords and we can really, you know, did you communicate a roadmap? Did you communicate enthusiasm? Did you communicate in any way, shape or form confidence in what you were saying? And if we can give that feedback to students. So I have a class this fall. The students are going to be giving a presentation in October, later in October. So they're going to practice in the system 10 times. The sole reason for that is deliberate practice. Right. Time, repetition, real-time coaching and feedback. In this case, it's the system before we get to a human. So I at least know you've gone through some reps. <laughs> and then working on skills outside of your current ability level. So uh, for instance, would be it's tracking the number of space fillers. So if I'm using three or four space fillers on average per minute, can I get that down to two? And that's in that case is that real-time coaching or that real-time coaching and feedback for the learner. Because I think we have to, and this isn't just communication, but we have to start leveraging technology in a different way and leveraging technology to create that practice field for folks to improve more rapidly. Because... I watch a lot of presentations. <laughs> I want to watch their 11th go through, not their second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, one, one of the interesting things that I remember now, um, it happened during the conference, like we're recording this in what? It's October now in 2021. Uh, so the, the first session of the conference was in April. And one of our speakers was uh, Scott Carman, who is the CEO of, Sil the CEO of Silver Fox Productions. Okay. Um, it's a huge presentation agency located in the Seattle uh, Seattle area. So Scott had this moment uh, in time because I know um, some of the customers that they are working with and they're incredible in what they're doing uh, with his team. Like we had, I always said to our team and when I was talking with him that our team has a huge respect uh, of what those guys there are doing. Uh, and we were just discussing as part of the conference, I brought up a question for him that because of the nature of people that he speak, uh, he's working with, sometimes, and I know it from him, sometimes those um, tech leaders are going to those product keynotes, uh, which yes. the world see. Yes. And yet they don't rehearse them. 
Yes. And I asked him, like, Scott, tell us more. Like, everyone is, I would say, I'm wondering how do they, like, how is a person who hasn't rehearsed that content go on stage and just nail it, you know? And what he said become pro became probably the quote of the whole conference because he yeah. said, uh, this person was always prepared because he was constantly preparing. Okay. And when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that is, that makes, so." and you can, again, relate it very easily to everything that you are saying. You yes. know, the, the time, the repetition, again, in his case, work with a person who uh, is a coach from the Silver Fox Productions team, of, of course, but not like in specific cases, but constantly, you know, like every single moment when yes. he or she is available, they work with them. And so when the moment hits, they just have so much experience already yes. that, yeah, that it, become, it becomes automatic, you know, for well, them, it just becomes easy. Yes, Boris. And, and, and again, there's a mindset here. A lot of a lot of professors walk into the classroom and they aren't practicing presentation skills on yep. Thursday night or Thursday morning. In in fact, they're actually actively putting people to sleep. But not just you know, in the US, right? by the way. <laughs> just oh, in the US, not in not in Bulgaria. It doesn't happen there. Oh no, no. In Bulgaria and all across Europe, it happens constantly. I can promise you that. So yeah. But when I'm working with, let's say, physicians, I do some coaching with some cardiologists, and they say, Well, I don't really have that often. I don't I don't present that often. And I and I, I try and reframe that for them and say you present all day long. It's just that your audience happens to be three or four, but you ha you're working to influence this patient, which is leadership. You're working to influence them to turn their life around. You are giving a speech that is trying to influence their behavior, and that's leadership and that's communication. You are telling stories to your colleagues in meetings and trying to influence the group to move in a certain way. And are you communicating that in a way that your idea gains traction? So every one of us have this practice field each and every day if we have that mindset. If we don't have that mindset, I'm just kind of moving through the day. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's okay. But I think there's an opportunity that's missed there, right? Yeah. Have you, have you, by the way, read the book of uh, Tim Grover? No. With the sports, the the um, coach of Michael Jordan, like his physical and like the person who trained Michael Jordan at the gym all us. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't. He, his book is one of his books because he has, I think, two or three now, but the first one is called Relentless, I think. And yeah, in one of, in that book, he... More, more or less, he has like this cate categorization of the players. Um, and he has this, like, I, I forgot the key words that he was using, uh, but the, the ultimate level, which was obviously Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, all yeah. those guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously. Uh, by the way, he was the coach of Kobe also. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm a huge Kobe fan. Uh, yeah. So when I found that Tim Grover was working with him, I was like, okay, that that now will like that combination of Kobe and the physical trainer of Jordan is dangerous yes. <laughs> because Kobe is dangerous in first place, and now you have the most dangerous couple. Like both of them can do some crazy things, and they uh, truly did. 
of course, but uh, he's talking about this categorization of players where, again, I'm going back to uh, what you're saying about the automaticity. And he was talking about Jordan and Kobe and everyone else that they're so prepared that they don't like they don't think about it. You know, like, no, it's just not a matter of thinking anymore for them. Everything is automatic. Yes, it's kind and of, that is and the one way of level. Yeah, they don't a, need instructions anymore. They know what they need to do. And they are going to do it no matter, he says, or more or less he, what, what he was saying, no matter of the obstacle that's in front of them. Yes. Yeah. And, and you're, what you're touching on now is Erickson will say that once an individual gets to a certain level, if I'm LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Serena Williams, and we can go to a lot of sports examples, but we yep. can also go to surgeons. We can go to pilots. Yep. We can go to cellists. Yeah. And they can at some point coach themselves. They know their craft well enough to know that that was a little bit off, that that was not finely tuned, and they can get to a point where they're literally coaching themselves because they're that in tune with the work, quote unquote. And, you know, I I love this topic so much because I think for me, it has some really, really important clues as to how we do our work. Because Boris, you've seen this. You've seen this a lot in your work. It doesn't take a lot of time for us to move the needle on someone's presentation skills. You give me a weekend with someone, and I don't mean this in an egotistical way. I don't. Yeah, But I do mean it in that if you give me someone for a weekend, we can move the needle. We can see them work at a pretty high level fairly quickly because yep. they're now aware of a couple dimensions of the fact that they touch their hair a lot and we can we can stop that and we can use them uh, encourage them to use their voice in a more intentional way and it doesn't take a long time it doesn't yeah for one particular presentation yeah you don't need that much time to make sure that you build it and then deliver it on a very very good in a very very good way i yeah. mean yeah, but it still requires time. Unfortunately for, <laughs> yes. by the way, unfortunately for everyone, right? For everyone. I always yeah. say that, like, it, there are some people that are asking, okay, but you also don't require some of your presentations. And I'm like, yes, I know. But first of all, I have done so many that you, if, if you have done the amount of presentations that I have done in so many different cases, scenarios, etc., you probably won't need to rehearse them either. However, I also have another thought in my head that I also teach to our uh, to our trainees, which is I also never forget that if I was able to rehearse it, it was going to be better. Yes. So I always say that to everybody, like the fact that you can at some point you get to a place and to a moment that you can deliver more or less any presentation that you are tasked with without any rehearsals doesn't mean that if you still have the time to rehearse it, it won't be better because it will be. And the craziest part part is that in the business world, in some scenarios, you cannot measure the opportunities that you missed because you didn't rehearse. And that's what scares me the most, right? That is the best part. I, I had the fortune of having Glenn Gibson on the, on the podcast, on my podcast. and, And he wrote a book called before the mic and then we came across this quote as we were writing our book on the topic and and essentially it was 90 per, 
how the presentation is going to go, 90% of it is kind of cast in stone before you even step on the stage. Yeah. So for me, I also think about that. Sometimes for me right now, I have a five-hour presentation this Friday with a Fortune 500 auto manufacturing company. Five hours. 54 people. Five hours. How do I make them walk out saying, that was incredible? That's my bar. That's I, I want Serena. I want Jordan. I want Kobe. I'm not going to get there, but that's what I'm shooting for. So for me, the practice in that in that situation and the the rehearsal is me constantly going back to that agenda, thinking about the flow and the energy in the room, thinking about what activity we're going to do that's going to make time move quickly, and really doing that work. Because I know that once I get up on the stage, it's fairly cast in stone as to how this thing's going to go, what I'm putting into motion. And so for me, rehearsal can also be that design work and really focusing on that design work. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to me, yeah. <laughs> hopefully to our listen, hopefully to our listen uh, listeners uh, and whoever watches on YouTube, uh, that makes sense. So let's repeat those four uh, four areas and let's try to correlate them very quickly to the context of presentations because I don't think that we have to say okay that doesn't work in the sales field or it doesn't work in the IT world or whatever because I think they these four that you mentioned work very very well in any field and any presentation for that matter. So what were right. the four things? The first one was time. 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 So, what does so mean Boris, for pardon me? What does that mean for a presenter, for a business person who needs to be presenting? Okay. How is, how is that related? Reframe your day that you can be practicing in every interaction that you engage in. You can be practicing your use of voice. I don't care if you're on a phone call. I don't care if you're on a, on a Zoom or a Teams meeting. I don't care if you're in person. I don't care if you're speaking with a thousand people or three. You yeah. can practice your use of voice. I can switch my pitch, my tone, my pace. I can do all of that. So yeah. are you reframing your day as an opportunity to practice communication skills? Bottom line. So that's time. So sometimes yeah. people say, well, I don't have the time to practice. Yeah, you do. All day long. Reframe how you're thinking about your day, right? <laughs> so time. Yeah. Number Repetition. One. Repetition. Now, this is a little bit dangerous because, again, it's the cellist who's playing the piece over and over and over and getting to that place of automaticity. It's the person who's throwing the free throws over and over and over and practicing. And so repetition is important, but you have to be repeating the right things. Otherwise, you build some habits that may not serve you well. I was in a Fortune 500 company not long ago. Uh, this is pre-COVID. And the the speaker paced and it was a back and forth unconscious pacing. All right. And that was pretty ingrained in how this individual presented. It happened a few times as I saw them present on a couple of occasions. So they had repeated that behavior, but it wasn't a behavior that was serving them well. Maybe if I'm a coach before a game firing the team up, that might be a different, but make it intentional, make it deliberate. So repetition is, is important but we have to be repeating the correct things. And so do you have someone in the organization, this gets to real-time coaching and feedback. Have you tapped, have I tapped you, Boris, and said, hey, every time I, will you count my space fillers? Or will you let me know if how the tone I'm setting is correct? 
or are will you look for any ner nervous tics that maybe I employ that I'm not aware of? So you're having an opportunity to get some feedback. This is also, at least in the context of football or soccer or football. <laughs> yeah. In Europe, it's football. My American came out there. Yeah. But uh, in the context of football, we're going to watch the tape. We're going to review it and we're going to look at what was happening and that coaching and feedback can happen in that moment as well. So that coaching and feedback and tapping that trusted advisor externally, the work that you do, or internally, a colleague, to say uh, to you, the brutal facts is critical. And then I've never perceived myself, Boris, I used to be so nervous before presentations. And thankfully, I had to teach that course because it kind of kicked it out of me, the nerves part. But uh, w the whole last piece of working on skills outside of your current ability level, I don't necessarily have the identity as someone who's an incredible storyteller. So I'm actively practicing that now. I'm actively practicing and weaving in stories into my presentations as an opportunity to practice. And that's important. So I'm working on that skill. It's outside of my current ability level, or at least that's my perception. So I'm intentionally building that into my presentations. So I have to spend four minutes telling a story that's animated, that has humor, that captivates the audience and has the result I'm looking for. And now I'm not there yet. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I don't get the laughs I was hoping for. <laughs> but Sometimes, because in those moments, I feel at least me, I feel a little bit like a stand-up comedian, right? I'm trying to weave in some humor and trying to tell the story and, and get the result I'm looking for. But so time, repetition, work real-time coaching and feedback and then working on skills outside of your current ability level those are four great starting points and this is the book for those of you on youtube you can you can see that this is called peak and for those of you who are listening it's peak secrets from the new science of expertise and it's anders erickson he is the author along with robert Poole, and it's it's just a it's a wonderful lens through which to look at this topic. Right? I'll make sure that we you know, put the link to the book in the show notes so that everyone can find it easily after the, and when they're consuming this one. So no worries whatsoever. All right, cool. Scott, it's already thirty-seven minutes into the game. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me tell me one two more things. Right. So okay. the first one is who is that person one one person though all right who is that person that for one reason or the other impressed you with their presentation skills that you believe that we need to have here on the podcast do you have someone that you can immediately point to and i will tell you of course uh if this person was already part of the <laughs> podcast because this episode as i mentioned before we hit the start button is episode 93 Number nine. Wow. Yeah. So do you have a name for us? <laughs> do I have it's a not name? Allowed, or it's not allowed for you to mention yourself again. All right. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think you yeah. should have Scott Allen on again. Yeah, yeah. Was... <laughs> this person, this guy is like, it's worth listening to him. <laughs> Going back to storytelling. Yeah. I have a favorite TED Talk, and if you can get him, Boris, I will cheer you all the way. Who is this? Uh, Tim Urban. Have you ever watched Tim Urban's TED Talk? Mm, not sure. 
Okay. So Tim Urban has a TED Talk and it's about procrastination. And I can send you the link and we can put it in the show notes for listeners. And he draws little stick figures. But again, just a wonderful ability to tell stories, stories that infuse humor, stories that are captivating. And I have showed that TED Talk in live sessions. And it's a 14, 15 minute talk. And never do people feel like it's dragging on or it's long. He just keeps you with him the whole TED Talk. And again, it's a combination of his storytelling, his use of voice, his sense of humor, his animated facial expressions. So for me, I just love, I love reading. He has a blog called Wait But Why, and it's hilarious, Boris. It's really, really good. Because he will, he will, he will investigate a topic and just go really, really deep on this topic, but from a, a novice's eyes. And it helps me understand some really interesting things like the Fermi paradox or artificial intelligence or. So I I would highly recommend Tim Urban. It's awesome. Brilliant. And the last one now, which is a two-part question. So it's, Uh yeah. Stay with me. Now it's the most the easiest one, so don't worry about okay. it. <laughs> where can where can people find more about what you're doing? Um, like for yourself, like where people can connect so they can talk with you potentially, and what is the best place for them to see uh, the crazy amount of things that you are involved in? <laughs> you know, I, I really like connecting with people on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so that's a right. great place. Scott J. Allen. I'm at John Carroll University in the College of Business, which is in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. And so that's the best way to get in touch with me is, is Scott J. Allen on LinkedIn. Uh, should we link the podcasts too? Yes. So one podcast, and I'm on episode 89. So I feel you. We are in a similar space, right? I mean, it's, nice. it's work. It's work. Episode 89 of Phronesis or Phronesis. Practical Wisdom for Leaders, and that I, I speak with scholars all over the world about how they're thinking about leadership and how do we help people better prepare to serve in those very challenging roles. And then the second podcast is called Captovation, and that's with an O. So we combined Captivate with Ovation, so Attract Applause, Captovation, and that's the name of that podcast. And in that podcast, again, I have conversations with people like you, awesome people who are doing incredible things in the world to advance advance the field, to advance our understanding, and to help people better prepare to serve in that role, right? If I'm speaking to a group of 500, can I stand up on the stage and knock it out of the park? I love that work. That's really, really cool. So, so those are the two podcasts. All right, so we'll ha- we have the LinkedIn profile. I wrote that down and the two podcasts. I'll Great. also make sure that we link uh, link up the book that you co-authored. Okay. Uh, and I'll stop there because there are so many things that I can link. <laughs> that I'll leave it to the audience and leave it to the listeners and to the viewers to uh, check them out afterwards. Scott, that was a super my nice friend. Part. My friend calls it, and I, I believe you're of a similar ilk, but my friend calls it healthy ADD. Yeah. He said, that you have ADD, but it's healthy. And I said, are you sure it's healthy? <laughs> yeah. But there's too many fun things to learn about, right? That is true. I completely agree. Thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by here and uh, making this one and doing, doing this podcast episode. It was so much fun. 
Yep. Uh, for sure, we need to stay in touch uh, for some other episodes. We know that we need to invite you again. Uh, you, you haven't said it out loud, but, but everyone understood that that needs to happen. So we'll make it happen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. And for everyone who is listening, all the links, all the podcasts, um, absolutely everything that we talked about in this episode with Scott will be in the show notes. So you can find it very, very easily. Again, thanks to Scott. And in the meantime, if you also want to check out what we are doing, I believe that 356lab.com and the conference Present to Succeed are the places that you need to visit. Thanks yes. everyone for listening. Subscribe if you like that podcast. Like it, follow, comment, you know what to do. And see you in the next one.